Thank you. What a joy to be back to Asbury. Uh, I am honored that President Timothy Tennant, my longtime friend and colleague at Gordon Conwell and co-traveler in Eastern Europe, would come out of sabbatical for chapel. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. I'm so glad to see Dr. Mark Elliott, who is an expert on Eastern Europe uh, and has founded and edited for a long time a very informative uh, journal. Uh, now, my family name spells K-U-Z-M-I-C. That C has a little bird on the top. Okay? Uh, in this country, I have been called everything from kutsmik <laughs> to cosmic. <laughs> so the pronunciation is kuzmich. Okay? And I am eternally grateful to my father, who was converted before I was born, so he gave me the biblical name, Peter. And biblical names usually become international and global. So just call me, call me Peter. Uh, I must say something about my language, because people who read the stuff I write they say, oh, he's pretty good in English. And then when they hear me for the first time to speak like you do, they say, wait a minute, what's wrong with his English? <laughs> Let me give you a brief technical uh, explanation. There is a scientific theory that says if you learn a foreign language before the age of puberty, you will speak it like the nationals, like the natives. If you learn it after the puberty, and don't ask me what happens at puberty there, you have no chance, except if you are extraordinarily musically gifted, which I am obviously not. So tolerate if in, case, in some cases I uh, mispronounce a word. Practice forgiveness, will you? The text that has been read in Matthew 24, all the way up to verse 12, or 13 actually, sounds like a catalog of evil. It sounds like Jesus is spelling out a very negative, destructive, Agenda. There's talk about wars and rumors of wars. Apostasy, betrayal, nation against nation, interethnic violence, I'll say something more about that, kingdom against kingdom, and then it adds famines and earthquakes, and then persecution and hatred and betrayal, and false prophets who deceive many people. And then, to sum it up, increase of wickedness. So when you read this, if you stop there, you would be discouraged. 
See, the biblical description of reality is very realistic. It's the reality that we know from experience, from living in various places globally, wherever you, you come from. It's wonderful to see a, a Chinese spiritual embassy here at uh, Asbury. Uh, reality is very often discouraging. Maybe less here in America, in this land of plenty and liberty. But you know, there are 32 major wars, especially inter-ethnic wars going on in the world right now. And there are about 110 other regional conflicts. And people are being killed on a daily basis. If you listen to the news this morning, you will agree with me. Something is wrong with our world. That's why, of course, you and I are here. We are being trained to be God's transformers on behalf of God's kingdom of peace and love and forgiveness and reconciliation. We are to be ambassadors, bridge builders, reconcilers in our broken world. And Asbury is well known as being a beacon light in a dark world. And I congratulate you for choosing this place as you go to minister, and some of you minister already in our broken world. The world is waiting for the message of healing and hope. And that is only in Jesus Christ. As it goes on, uh, increase of wickedness, Love will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. This is now the hope. This is our theme. The gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the benevolent rule of a powerful, loving God will be announced in the whole world to all nations as a testimony to all nations and then the end. I would like to for us to look, well, let's look at my world first. Can we have a map of Europe? I think we have a map of Europe somewhere. You see the map of Europe? Can you read the countries? Europe basically divided between Western Europe and Eastern Europe, which is geographic designation, but it used to be an ideological designation for most of the 20th century. And you see the country Yugoslavia just across from Italy. If you, you remember your map from your high school days? <laughs> Italy running like a shoe into the Mediterranean, okay? And here is the country of Yugoslavia, I'm a, as it has been said, I will, I'm a native Slovenian. I live in Croatia. I have lived in Bosnia, Muslim-dominated Bosnia, for several years, and have been instrumental in sending more than 20 pioneering missionaries from our school to Bosnia 
who have all planted churches, and we see some progress of the kingdom there. You see uh, Serbia, Montenegro down there, and Albania. Albania is in light, uh, not Albania, Kosovo, which is the Albanian-dominated region. And then, of course, Macedonia. So these are seven new nations that came out of one nation. Talk about nation against nation, okay? Now, I had nothing to do with breaking them up, okay? <laughs> but we are working and reconciling these nations. And uh, there are some, as I said, good things happening there. Now, let's return to the world at large. We live in a violent world. World of warfare. You have heard the news from Palestine. You have heard the news from Ethiopia and so on. I could, we will not go around the map now, but I want us to reflect about integral mission in a world of violence. International politics has been preoccupied for quite some time now with managing inter-ethnic conflict. And when violence breaks out in one place, it is very easy for fanatics on both sides and in the neighboring countries to begin their revolts and become instruments of violence. So what is the Christian mission in that world? Uh, increasingly violent world. If you look at the history, maybe we can have the statistics. Uh, in the 1500s, can you read that? Uh, yeah, in the 1500s, one million 600,000 people, civilians and soldiers, have been killed in warfare. In the 1600s, next, this climbs to 6,100,000. In the 1700s, it's 7 million, about 7 million. In the 19th century, we have 19.4 million killed in various conflicts and wars. Now, if you would go back 100 plus years, at the end of the 19th century, because of the civilizational advancement, because of the great discoveries in the areas of science and so on, you had a number of philosophers and scientists and others who were very optimistic. And they were announcing that the 20th century, that's the past century, that the 20th century would be a century of peace, a century as one of the greatest minds of the 19th century predicted, the 20th century would be the century of the rule of elevated human reason, elevated human reason. And yet we hardly entered the 20th century and we had the First World War. We actually, uh, things started in Sarajevo, Bosnia, where I'm coming from. And then you had 
the Third Reich, you had Holocaust, you had Second World War, and a number of other outbreaks of major organized, institutionalized violence, so that instead of a century of peace in which human reason rules, we are talking about the record of 112.8 million. 112,800,000 people killed in that advanced century. That is four times as much as in the previous four or five centuries that we have reviewed. Now, the question, what is the Christian perspective? What's the response of Christian mission to the world with so many wars, so many victims, floods of refugees, theories abound, and yet many of them are deficient. I've studied war and warfare because of my existential situation and involvement in peacemaking. And uh, most of the theories, secular theories, are deficient because they do not address, they fail to address the deepest ambiguities of human nature and the fundamental alienation of human beings from their creator, which then results in the alienation from each other. So over 112 million people, and some estimates, by the way, go much higher uh, in the century in which the elevated human reason was supposed to rule, really has to make us think. Reinhold Niebuhr helps us in some of his writings. That's the brother of Richard Niebuhr. Evangelical schools know more about Richard because of Christ and culture uh, book, the classic, but Reinhold Niebuhr was a social theologian, a great, great mind, uh, not exactly an evangelical, but a man we can learn much from. He said that the Christian doctrine of sin is the least popular doctrine, and yet it is the one for which we have the most overwhelming empirical evidence everywhere. At the end, close to the end of his life, he was asked in a TV interview whether he would change anything now that he's lived a long life and has written a number of important books and so on. And he said, well, you remember that one of my most popular books uh, has a title, The Moral Man and Immoral Society. The Moral Man and the Immoral Society. He said, I would change the title of that book. And uh, the title would be The Immoral Man and the Terribly Immoral Society. So we have to start with 
human nature. Let me give you another contemporary writer, Samuel Huntington, in his famous book, The Clash of Civilizations, where he highlights the role of religion in shaping new kinds of warfare, driven primarily not by economic or territorial reasons, but by the clashes of different ideologies and civilizations. That's why the title is Clash of Civilizations. And uh, he points out, as we observe, that although the international diplomats have been discovering the destructive role of religion, they, about that time in the late 90s, slowly started discover, to discover also a great potential for social healing, for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for building bridges of understanding and confidence across ethnic and other divides. Uh, divides. Frequently, modern conflicts are explained as normal reactions to the processes of, global, uh, processes of globalizations. And some of us come from the areas of the world where we understand that. Small ethnic communities and their cultures feel threatened by the aggressive forces of globalization, including economic, as they invade their territories. Now, the best book that I have read, the best study on the, on the war, has been written by Kenneth Waltz. Some of you, I notice, are taking notes, so it spells W-A-L-Z. Kenneth Waltz. In his book, sorry, I'm, my wife recently told me when she heard me speak, why are you moving your glasses on and on? <laughs> I am still not used to it, but I've come to the point where for reading, I need glasses. Uh, but I'm not yet used to them. <laughs> okay. Um, he, uh, in his famous book, Man, the State, and War, a theoretical analysis is the sub subtitle. Uh, he explains, gives three explanations for the ori origin of war. First is what he calls the folly of the nations. Nations are organized to pursue wars, whether the wars are due to economic self-interest, national pride, national insecurity, or the political pressure of the masses and sometimes, of course, the military pressure within a country. The second explanation is international anarchy. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm on here. So how do you cough like this? <coughs> uh, international anarchy or disorder. Walt says that as long as there is no ruler to enforce order, autonomous units of the international system will resort to armed conflict to resolve their tensions. And again, these tensions may be economic competition, exaggerated nationalism, border disputes, territorial claims, and uh, international anarchy in general. 
But uh, Waltz also looks at a third explanation. And he is the first one among the secular writers that I discovered treats that. Although he's not a theologian, he discovers a theological reason. He speaks not only of the folly of the nations, but also of the flawed, F-L-W-E-E-D, flawed human nature. And this is a euphemistic reference to what we Christians call sin, a recognition that humans are flawed or fallen. The weakness of persons is due to the fundamental alienation from our creator, who is a God of peace. So whether the major cause be ignorance, pride, greed, or social estrangement, the problem lies in human nature. And this is again where our calling and our sending is of crucial importance because the message we bring to the nations has transformative power to change human nature, not just to give them salvation for heaven, but to transform them in their living, in their quality of life. <coughs> Sorry. I'm still dealing with jet lag, and so here I am, uh, including uh, these problems that I am trying to overcome. I, I tell people, you know, I've lived for more than half of my life in a socialist homeland, and I'm still not sure how to operate this capitalist technology. <laughs> so bringing the perspective of the kingdom of God to shed light on the realities of the kingdoms of this world, and then the gospel's transformative power, and it's the gospel of the kingdom to change the situation, beginning the change with human nature. That's why the gospel of hope is the good news for our broken world. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that the 20th century was ending in a most cannibalistic, as the most cannibalistic century of all. And the 21st century does not promise much better. So Christian ministers and theologians, missiologists, are under a holy imperative to bring the perspective of the kingdom. We do not submit to the Lord of the nations. And uh, sorry, we submit to the Lord of the nations who is able to change the destiny of these nations. Now, briefly, since I'm noticing that the time goes much faster here in America, <laughs> especially in Kentucky, <laughs> than back in my home. All right. Uh, how, what do, how do we respond to this world of warfare, ethnicity, interethnic tensions, hatred, exclusion? 
let me briefly mention three C's. The first C stands for context. We evangelicals have a strong emphasis on the kingdom of God and scripture in which we find the king. Martin Luther spoke about the living, uh, written word in which you find the living world. But scripture is not lived or proclaimed in a vacuum, but always in the context of concrete realities. That's why you study contextualization. So Christian uh, ministry is a constant two-way journey, shall I say, between the word and the world, between the text and the context. If you ignore the text, you have nothing to bring to the world, to the context. But if you ignore the context, you are basically a sectarian, closed in within your religious worldview and your four walls of your church. So it's a two-way traffic, constantly. We listen to both. We ask both, the, the world especially, we ask the world to ask its questions so that we can find the answers. <coughs> oh, sorry. I've got a problem, as you can see. So contextuality is very important in mission with integrity. The kingdom mission does not take place in antiseptic conditions. People need a message of hope and life faced with situations of despair and death. And so we are learning that we cannot practice authentic mission from a safe distance. Chris Marshall the name of an American who taught English at our seminary in Osijek, Croatia. When the war broke out, uh, broke out and the seminary was bombarded along with the city, over 150,000 shells falling every day on that city. Christine was not there when we were evacuating as a group. Because of a minor accident, she was in the hospital. And so when she came out of the hospital, she went back to the seminary, of course, settled in the basement. Basements were the only somewhat safe places under bombardment. And then she knew some of our Serbian neighbors who were in danger of becoming victims of Croatian revenge because it was Serbia who was bombing the city. And she took them in and provided them with safe lodging and food and so on. One of our friends, along with somebody from American Embassy, 
went into the city to rescue Chris Marshall. And when they arrived, they said, back quickly, you have to leave. All Americans have, to, have left already, and you need to leave. And she said, no, I am going to stay. I'm not leaving. And they said, but the US government has ordered you to leave. And she just quietly said, I have higher orders to obey. No wonder at the end of the war, she was proclaimed the evangelical Mother Teresa of Osiak. She stayed in a vulnerable context. And that gave her credibility. <coughs> so, instead, in context where we practice compassion, remember, Jesus looks at the crowds, and he was moved with compassion. And then he made a famous statement that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Moved, he saw them. We need the eyes of Jesus. We need to see people the way Jesus sees them. And then he was moved with compassion. It's a rare Greek verb which could be translated, and I actually did in a paraphrase I did back in Eastern Europe, that he loved them to the point of causing himself pain. Real love hurts. Not those we love, but those who, who love. When our students uh, in Eastern Europe were sent out to do evangelism, I would very often tell them, their main task is basically to wash the face of Jesus, to regain credibility for Christian faith. Because that, uh, that face of Jesus was distorted and dirtied by compromises of European institutional Christianity through the centuries, and then in the 20th century by Marxist atheist propaganda. <coughs> so friends, I want to emphasize we do have a credible message of a credible savior. The question is, are we credible communities and credible messengers of that hope, message of hope for the broken world? Let me, um, let me conclude. Uh, when the war in Bosnia, Muslim-dominated Bosnia was over, the mayor of Bihać, invited me and some of my colleagues to honor us because when nobody would enter Bihać with any help, where, and that's the town, by the way, where over 1,000 children lost at least one, many of them both parents, due to indiscriminate shelling. And the hospital operated without anesthetic for months at a time. So some of our students risked their lives, and across the mountains, through the snow, they were bringing some medicine and some food. So we were honored at the end of the war. And I turned to, to the mayor, and I said, Mayor of Bihać, and I said, uh, 
how is that that you being a Muslim and I a Christian, how is it that we get along this well? His answer was, that's because I'm not the kind of a Muslim your friends from the West think when they hear the word Muslim. And you are not the kind of Christian that Muslims think about when they hear the word Christian. He says, I'm a cultural Muslim. I don't have a deep commitment to Allah, but I'm increasingly interested in your Jesus because of who you people are and what you do. And then he said, if you want to open a church in the city of Vihach, I was shocked. Please feel free. Muslim mayor encouraging an evangelical minister to open a church in his city. Friends, credibility depends on availability. And availability in the mission of God includes our vulnerability. He, the mayor of Bihar, says, you are credible with us because you became vulnerable with us. And it gave me an opportunity to share with him the message of the most credible person that ever walked this planet Earth. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, the only hope for our broken world. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as Savior and Lord. And although we live in a world of pain, hatred, and violence, having been transformed by your loving gospel, we boldly encourage by you and empowered by your spirit go into that world as messengers, as ambassadors of your kingdom, of your gospel, the only hope for our broken world. Amen.